Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Going back to trends, you need to follow the consumer. Consumers are looking for health and wellness options, and CBD perfectly addresses this need. And we believe it's going to be a big opportunity moving forward, and that's why we decided to do this partnership with Tilray to learn. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a pleasure today to welcome to Good Company, Lucas Herskovicki. Lucas, I love your title. I have to say that, and I'm certain our listeners will as well. Chief Non-Alcohol Beverage Officer. It sounds like you left all the fun out, you, the non-alcohol part. Come on. First of all, non-alcohol beverages, the focus of non-alcohol is health and wellness, right? And health and wellness, as we, you know, it's a huge trend globally that is growing at record pace. It gives you the opportunity of being in an industry where you can drive the transformation. And people know AB InBev or Anheuser-Busch InBev for its beers, but surprisingly, 10% of our volumes is non-alcohol beverages. So that, that's why they created uh, this, this position uh, close to two years ago, uh, to have someone focus on 10% of our business that in the past was not delivering the results that we, we expected, given that we had already capabilities and footprint to be able to do uh, things in beverages, we still have a lot of opportunities to expand beyond beer. And that's why we have non-alcohol. Apart from non-alcohol, we also have some spirits and some wine and some flavored Martha beverages. So ABI is becoming a total beverage company and that uh, addresses all consumer needs and occasions in a better way. It's so interesting because we talk every day in our day jobs about transformation and that's usually around digital transformation or you know things of that sort. And you were talking about transformation from alcohol to non-alcohol. That's an interesting mission to be on. But let me go to the alcoholic beverage mm-hmm. side of it, particularly if we think about bars and restaurants. I don't know the percentage of your business that comes from that side. It's one of those things when you wake up in the morning and the government, in most cases, is said, oh, sorry, you're closed and not much you can do about that. Mm-hmm. And even as we've been supporting restaurants and, and others with takeout, one of the things you're probably not taking out as a consumer is any alcohol beverages. I'm curious how you've both taken that impact and what ABM Biv is doing about it. So first of all, it's a, it's a great question. 20 to 30% of our business is what we call on-premise, right? And on-premise is what you call bars, restaurants, on, or places where you consume there instead of taking it home, right? So from a mix perspective, fortunately, it's not most of our mix. We have 70 or 80% that we call off-trade that is still the bigger part of our business. And the more mature a market is, the higher that percentage is, okay? So example, the U.S., it's 85% is off-premise, where other markets like Brazil is more 50-50. Okay, so that gives you an example of two of our top markets. Having said that, May was a tough month, but not as tough as April. And June, 
was a relatively good month. We've had certain markets where we, despite the closures of the on-premise or the bars and restaurants, we grew in volume versus year ago. So all the volume that was sold in the off-trade being supermarkets, the Walmarts of the world, was growing. Overcompensated the decline of 50%, the 15% of the industry at zero, closed 100%. So it's incredible the demand that we had in countries like US, countries like UK. So the more developed the market, the more off-trade there was, the, the better the performance there. Obviously, there was a shift of consumers moving to larger packs, okay, because of in-home consumption. So you mean we weren't just buying larger packs of toilet paper and and, uh, Clorox wipes? We were even surprised with the resiliency. So the results were not very good in April or May, mainly because of markets that were closed. So we had some closures in South Africa. We had closures in Peru. We had closures in Mexico. But the governments in those countries banned the sale and distribution of alcohol for a period of a month or something like that. That's what hit our sales the most. If you take out the closed markets, the the industry performed quite well because people enjoy beer, enjoy the the product, and it it was included in their basket when doing purchases. So it's been surprisingly, surprisingly strong. That's actually so interesting, even in markets where you're saying, if you look at it holistically, we were literally closed down. So that says a lot in terms of the resiliency of the category. Yeah, people people like beer. Uh, it's a fun category, but this is a new type of socialization, a new type of entertainment that people are having. People in the past might have, might have consumed once or twice a week. Now, frequency has increased, but the intensity, the quantity consumed has gone down. And then another interesting variable is in the past, women were the ones in majority of cases who made the decisions of purchase. During COVID, there was a higher percentages of males making purchases. Interesting. And that also helped the category in certain markets do better than previously. So very interesting learnings that everyone is finding out. What grew exponentially, obviously, was digital. So you know my right. passion and background in digital. I worked in digital for most of my career. Leading. That's when we met. That's when we met. Yeah, I was leading in Palo Alto first. I was leading digital for globally innovation, then I led digital for North America, and then I was leading connections with media, sports, entertainment, and digital. So really happy to finally see e-commerce explode in the beverage space. It's been a laggard compared with other industries, but the results we're seeing in many countries around the world are astronomical. And I think this is something that will be there to stay. So we advanced five years. So, Lucas, let's focus on the non-alcohol beverage side of the equation. What are you seeing in terms of the growth of that? And put COVID aside for a moment. Are there geographic pockets where it's stronger, A, and B? I'm curious about the demographic. What's interesting is as markets mature, there is a higher percentage of non-sugar beverages and a higher percentage of what we call the non-traditional soft drinks. Like the traditional soft drinks are carbonated soft drinks, water, and juice. But then you have the other, which is ready to drink tea, ready to drink coffee, sports drink, energy drinks. The more mature you are, the more developed they are, okay? To put it in simple terms. And you might live it yourself. You might see it with your kids or or your family. That's a fact. Then we see early markets where 
carbonated soft drinks is still big and people don't care about sugar because of lack of education, cost, whatever whatever that is. We see as markets mature, juice becomes more relevant, but the more mature they are, they start reducing their uh, intake of juice because they realize caloric content, there's sugar. So there's a lot of education uh, that has to do with the, the type of beverages people drink, okay? So having said that is energy, coffee, tea, enhanced water are all the categories that have grown the most and we continue seeing them grow. Lucas, you used an expression that I've only thought of in fashion before. They're ready to wear, ready to drink. Yeah, coffee. like The new concept for me. I, I, I thank you for sharing that. But the, that concept is not only non-alcoholic, it's inalcoholic. For example, we just bought a company called Cutwater Spirits that is ready to drink cocktails. So you can have a Moscow Mule, you can have a gin and tonic, you can have margarita. All these things are in a can. So these are already ready to drink. And these uh, type of beverages are growing a lot, also in alcohol. Those are the bigger categories. You also have kombucha. Uh, they say it's the adult soft drink of the future because it's healthy, it's, a, it's good for you. So a good separation in non-alcoholic is fun for you, better for you, and good for you. This is a, a definition that Pepsi embraced a few years ago. So that, that's, that's a, a bit of what we're seeing. Obviously, there's a correlation between income and these other products that I mentioned. And then from an age bracket perspective, it depends. Every category is different and depending on the maturity and the price point, that determines the type of consumer you have. Talk to me about the cannabis or CBD side of the equation. Where is that on your roadmap personally? Because that's non-alcohol, right? So first of all, in cannabis, you have THC and CBD. Right. I grew up in the 60s. I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's important the distinction of uh, exactly of where you play, especially perception. Again, we're a global company, and anything you do in one country could be perceived differently in other countries, right? So, to, to answer the question very very clearly, is we have a JV with Tilray to do cannabis in Canada, and that we already launched a product last year in the space. So we are playing in the space already where it's legal at a national right. level. At a national level. Right. Which Canada it is. U.S. obviously it's state by state. And that falls into my, my realm of things. I believe in the opportunity. Uh, it's aligned with health and wellness. Again, going back to trends, you need to follow the consumer. Consumers are looking for health and, uh, health and, and wellness options and CBD perfectly addresses this need. And we believe it's going to be a big opportunity moving forward. And that's why we decided to do uh, this partnership with Tilray to learn. But we're only doing CBD. Also right. going to clarification is we have decided not to pursue anything on THC for now. Are others pursuing THC in beverage? Yes, others are. We have decided not to. Just as a corporate decision. Talk to me in that same regard about corporate decisions, Lucas. AB InBev has been committed and, and active in the space, obviously around sustainability and purpose-driven marketing for a long time. Is there a renewed push? Has it changed? And in the truly current moment of diversity and inclusion and and the issues we're dealing with? So excellent question. So we've had a chief sustainability officer for over four years, right? Our corporate dream and vision is bring people together for a better world. 
So, and that has already been there for, for over four or five years. And maybe we were too early, I would say. And internally, people didn't understand what For a Better World meant. And as time goes by, we realize how important it was and how important it is. We're extremely committed to sustainability. And we've been recognized in different forums in the UN and in different areas because of that, because we, we feel it's the right thing to do. There are four pillars in sustainability. One is water. One is communities, one is energy. And all of these are areas that we're putting strong emphasis in. And the other one is about packaging, right? So those are the, the four. From an energy perspective, we've committed to have Budweiser 100, uh, using 100% sustainable energy by 2025 globally. We've already achieved that in many markets around the world. For example, in the US, we're 100% sustainable. From an energy perspective, we already moved and we made commitments with Tesla and with Nikola and we bought and we were the first uh, self-driving truck that appeared in the market over two years ago. We did that and we already bought many, many trucks for the first self-driving cars, trucks whenever they appear. They're already committed for the future. From and a, that's from a delivery perspective and whatnot, yeah. just in terms of uh, distribution. It's, it's the big trucks. Uh, they're right. the ones that move from brewery to warehouses or, or wholesale. From a water perspective, we've been reducing our water consumption significantly, but we're also committed to making sure that there's no, no area affected on the country wherever we have breweries. And from a community's perspective, we're trying to develop farmers across the world because we are a natural product that we depend on farmers like no one else. And I'll give you one example. We did a partnership, an investment in a company that we're partners with called Bank Q, uh, which is the, the name is Banking You, which right. enables farmers in Africa via blockchain technology to be able to become part of the banking system just because of us being, uh, being, buying the raw materials from the, the malt from these farmers. So the farmers used to be selling to a middleman and that middleman used to be selling it to us. And unfortunately, those farmers that are in many cases poor people didn't have any proof point that they were selling it to, to the middleman and then ultimately to us. And that was not allowing them to be able to get access to credit. We changed the system partnering with this company called BankQ. They do the payments via mobile phone. And what we've been able to unlock is hundreds of thousands of, of farmers now uh, can use the, the information that they have of us uh, buying to them that uh, allowed them to get into the society and gave them financial uh, access and, and more freedom and growth that they've invest mainly for education purpose. And from a packaging perspective, Corona four or five years ago already launched a campaign and it's the brand that we have globally uh, that is focusing from a packaging perspective of eliminating plastic. So it's been all about save the, save the beaches. And we have a partnership with Parlay that we've had for over four years and we've been very consistent along the journey and we make commitments to move uh, to non-returnable eco-friendly packaging in the coming years with very aggressive goals. You mentioned Corona and I can't miss that opportunity. You know, at the beginning of COVID, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, the unfortunate or maybe fortunate position of having a product that's named after a novel virus or the other way around. Has that had impact on the brand? So surprisingly, no. We were worried, obviously, at the beginning. There was a change. Now people, I don't know if they say Corona or COVID, 
but there was a, an evolution in the middle of the, the journey more in February where the, I don't know if it was the WHO or someone started using more the name COVID-19, which might've helped. There were a lot of memes around the topic, making jokes Absolutely. about it in February, March. First clarification is in the US, we do not sell Corona. Right. In the US, it's Constellation who sells Corona. Globally, we sell Corona. We own the rights of the brand globally. I want to go back to something you said when you talked about Bank U and talked about going direct between the farmers. I was looking at that through the lens of uh, the media side of our business and your business. That's a trend in our business as well, going direct. Have you seen that trend now, putting on your marketer hat, where everything is going more direct? 2,000%. We've started a long time ago. We're moving very fast now. Peter Earp, who's the CMO, is a huge believer in it. Uh, and he's been pushing hard and driving this transformation faster than ever. So I'm going to leave, leave you with one final question, Lucas. If I did word association and said AB, InBev, and sports, everybody would light up. I mean, uh-huh. you guys have been defined as one of the great supporters of sports, whether it was all the way back to your ownership of ESPN. We're at a time when we're five months into virtually no sports, certainly in the United States. We're about to start to get some with the NBA and Major League Baseball and others. What's your prognosis? What do you see? And has that money been redirected, I guess, is one question. And what do you see in terms of uh, the future for what was, I think, one of the more massive investments of any brand or any house of brands? So first of all, sports is a passion point that's been there for many years, and I believe it's going to continue being there for many years to come. Sports has changed and will change. And we as companies need to adapt to the new world of sports. Esports is growing exponentially. And it's a place that companies like AB InBev have been there. In 2016, we did Bud Light All-Stars. We're doing things in that space. But the baseballs, the basketballs, and the footballs of the world, uh, I believe, will continue being there. As marketers, we need to think how to connect with those passion points and those fans in different ways. We are still committed to sports. We will continue being associated sports and we need to play a big part in continuing to make it a social fun occasion that enlightens people's lives and emotions. You've always been a good friend and I appreciate you allocating the time and I appreciate your insights as I'm sure our listeners will. Thank you again. Thank you, Michael. It was a great conversation and it's always a pleasure being and chatting with you. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich.